Welcome back to Ben and Matt's Marvelous Journey. This is a podcast dedicated to every entry in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's difficult to keep track of how many there are, but this is episode 34, and this is Spider-Man No Way Home. It is also the final episode we are doing in this volume, year, whatever you want to call it, because as we said at the top of this volume, we're just going to be back once a year to wrap up everything they did the year before. My name is Matt Waters. I'm joined in this endeavour one last time this year by Ben Phillips. Ben, how is it going? It's going all right. Apart from my incredible tiredness, I'm ready to talk yeah. some Spider's Man, the most horrific image that Marvel Comics have ever given us. <laughs> if you don't know the panel reference, it's basically just there is a version of Spider-Man who is just like sentient spiders who combine to make a human. Like 1,000 ants from Rick and Morty. Yes. This one I've been waiting for for a while. I, I think there's just no other way to say it. When I first saw this movie in December of 2021, I was elated. It was an emotional high. I cried. I laughed. It was It was all good. And I was like, yeah, that's great. That's that's the best movie they did last year. That's that's probably the best Spider-Man that Marvel proper have done. You know, nothing but positive things to say. I was looking forward to doing the episode and gushing about it. And then when it hit sort of home release and I watched it again, I was a lot more underwhelmed by it. And I now don't think it's any of the things I just said. <laughs> I, I actually think I prefer Homecoming to No Way Home. Mm-hmm. And I think I probably marginally prefer Shang-Chi to No Way mm-hmm. Home. Yep. Uh, and you sure can tell they made this movie in a pandemic, huh? Yeah, like, I think, obviously, I think most of the movies from last year had a touch of pandemic to them. Mm-hmm. Like, I think Black Widow and Eternals were pretty much done, but... Like, Shang-Chi, they obviously had to shut down production and kind of, like, come back later. But this is the first project that we've had, apart from Hawkeye, which was, like, a solely pandemic production. Yeah, like, we're shooting through COVID, people are masked up between takes and all of that. I I always find that so funny. You see, like, this set full of people in full costume, wearing masks, and then it's like, right, now the camera's rolling, COVID doesn't exist, and you can just take them off. It's like, what are we doing? (laughs) The thing is, I think... What makes it an issue here is that Marvel have, for a good long while, when they've been doing these movies that are like, here's how big the cast has got. And you're like, well, you can't get all those people on the same day. And they're like, no, but we've got systems to to get around that. But you yes. kind of exacerbate everything when you cannot have some people in the same shot at the same time. And mm-hmm. I don't think anything is clearer than, spoilers for Spider-Man No Way Home, the most <laughs> spoiled movie of all time. <laughs> Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield are back. Yes. And in the scene where they get introduced... No one is stood within like six feet of each other. I, yeah, they're, I really don't like think four, so. They're at four corners of the room. Yeah, Ned's grandmother is like entirely in separate shots for like that entire scene. Like she is not there on the same day as any of them, and it's yeah so very obvious. Like I, I do genuinely think that the the Dyer and Garfield they're obviously on set at the same time. Yeah, but like they're still not near each other. Yeah, yeah, and like uh, Maguire and and Willem Dafoe don't share the screen and then that would have been huge if they had just so many little things like that very clear that thomas hayden church uh is not on the set i don't think reese fans is anywhere near the set like you see the brief moment where 
Do but both of them get turned back? Both of them get turned back, but it's just it seems like footage it's, from yeah. Spider-Man 3 and Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah, it's just B-roll footage, and like they did some voice work. And I don't know if they did any motion capture. They probably didn't need to. It's the kind of thing where it's like, oh, yeah, we motion captured some faces. It's like, you don't have to. Like The, the way these things work these days, they can recreate a face in sand. Like, it's fine. Knowing all of that, that I guess the first time I was just willing to just be taken away by like, right, what is happening? What is this movie? What does it look like? Is Daredevil in this? Like, are the Spider-Men going to show up? We're all 99% sure they are, but what if they're not? And just powers you through to a pleasant experience. And then watching it again, I can just, not every frame, but in almost every scene, it's like, hmm, that bit looks a bit shit, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember I text you like, maybe a week before the movie, and I was just like, what does Sony do if they don't have Garfield and Maguire back for this? Like, what on <laughs> earth is the backlash to this movie if the thing that everyone's expecting doesn't happen? Is yeah. there some Sony marketing person who's something going like, we're fucked, we're fucked, we're fucked? <laughs> like, I've been calling them every day, they won't come and do the cameo. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, the, those photos emerged what, six months before it came out? Of yeah, like, there's the photo of Garfield on the, on the scaffolding The scaffolding, set. blue screen behind him. When one of the trailers comes out, for which they did like a... They did like a big like LA premiere event for their like less than two-minute trailer. <laughs> so I don't know if they like did some Q&A or like rolled some other stuff for the people who went, but that's wild. People were tearing apart like... I think it's like the Brazilian version of it for not cutting a shot like a second too early and there's like clearly a villain is jumping at an empty space kind of thing and that and then gets turn kicked out. in the face yeah 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 that's it and i think the the american uk most of the versions i think it, the shot cuts like a half second earlier or something and you don't see the kick um, but you know this is how it works these days you cannot they do hide things in trailers like you know hulk has been put in when he's not there thor has had a second eye put in all these kinds of things there just there is a level of thing that you just cannot be safe from. The internet will tear it apart. So maybe just don't even try and hide certain things, or like don't edit out a character that is like a huge surprise. Like just just don't include any footage from that scene if you can avoid it, because this is I, what happens. And then yeah, I think you have months and months of Andrew Garfield being like, I don't know what you're talking about, and I, I'm I'm not in it, and all of that. And then Charlie Cox eventually is like, I don't know what you want me to say. <laughs> Which is just like, yes, I'm in it, but legally I can't tell you I'm in it. I think the funniest is Andrew Garfield, who is at that point in time promoting like Tick Tick Boom and the eyes <laughs> of Tammy Faye. Like he is on another press tour circuit, yeah. and so he basically has the opportunity of like every couple of days, people are just like, "Are you in Spider Man?" Exactly. And like, um, and then obviously, I think there's the there's the Radio One interview that Tom Holland does where there's the captain like, spoilers himself yeah where i don't think this was a big spoiler based on like how marvel shoot the fucking movies but like there's the scene of like obviously zendaya falling off the scaffolding mm -hmm. and you get the the triumphant moment of andrew garfield like, waking up for not catching gwen in time yes, or catching yeah. her and maybe killing her <laughs> and then and then tom holland goes like yeah i wasn't on set that day so like it was really cool to see the shot of the trailer and then you can see his face like drop as he realizes what he said <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, he could have gotten away with that if he didn't react, because, you know, you just go, oh yeah, it was a suit actor, they don't let me do those stunts, I would love to do them, blah blah blah. It all adds to the mystique of this movie, though, because yeah. like, I think the important thing to point about this movie is, this movie is a fucking monster hit, like, oh, like yeah. it's impossible to say what this movie does if there were two things that weren't kind of hurting it, and one of those is, we had just entered a massive spike in COVID cases with Omicron. 
Yep. And I think that hurts this movie's box office. And the second one is China's little civil war against Disney at this point, where mm. they are just not putting out any of these movies, like did Doctor Strange. Ex- did that extend to this? Like, there's been all kinds of like conflicting opinions where like they gave Marvel a slot before, or like a week before Lunar New Year, which was like way too late and was going to get stomped on by whatever the new. Right. Like hit in China was going to be like lined up to be. Yeah, like um, they're dumping they, it out like a week before a major thing that no one's going to watch. So it's sort of like it would hurt you more to release here than it would help you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then the other thing is apparently they asked for all scenes at the Statue of Liberty to be cut. <laughs> I mean, they're not wrong. It is gaudy to have uh, Steve Rogers' shield on the Statue of Liberty. Yes, this is happening more and more. I can't remember which country in the Middle East wanted America's two mothers cut from Doctor Strange. The issue um, is, is that that scene is like... Pivotal. <laughs> it, it, pivotal, but also so easily cut. I was watching the movie mm-hmm. and then that scene happened and I was like, oh, you have definitely filmed this in such a way where you can like mm-hmm. conceivably cut it out. Because it literally goes from a Doctor Strange memory to yeah. America's memory to recapping Doctor Strange's memory. And I'm like, yeah. mm, mm, It feels like you got it ready to... like. A higher up is going to have to decide whether this makes it in or not, and we'll film it in a way that you can cut it out if you want to, but we're not allowed to say yet whether it's happening. But yeah, so uh, yeah, what you were getting at there is it, it makes just shy of $1.9 billion. Let's call it almost $2 billion. It finished its pandemic. domestic run this week at $804 million. Jesus Christ. Yeah, so enormous hit. Does it? Does it make two and a half, three billion dollars if it comes out in China and there is no pandemic? Like that seems unfathomable. And yet, the way the world is, and like so many people went to see this, you know, it was a huge, huge talking point. And like, you know, the allure of are the Spider Men back? And like, you know, they tell you in the trailer, like, oh yeah, Doc Ock and Green Goblin, and and you know, they're they're all coming back. And it's like, I think that was what for me confirmed that the Spider Men were in it because. If you don't have the Spider-Man, you would surely save the surprise of the villains in some way. And it's like, if you're willing to give the villains away, you must have something else in your quiver. Yeah, and that's that's what made it so interesting, is in the production of this movie, obviously, like, Melina and Fox are, like, the first two casting announcements, I think. (laughs) And it's like, what is this movie? Because obviously, (laughs) I think, like, we knew, obviously, all the the regular cast are back. And Cumberbatch is announced relatively early. Yeah, always, always the Marvel guest character. They borrowed Iron Man for Homecoming. They borrowed Nick Fury for Far From Home. Quote unquote Nick Fury, obviously. <laughs> well, sure. The actor, the likeness, the the name, blah blah blah. Yeah, they, they also got Maria Hill, uh, but no one ever cares about Maria Hill because they've never really bothered to give her enough to be excited about. Even if we all love Kobe Smulders. So yeah, yeah, we knew Doctor Strange was involved. Like, and there is, there are historical ties between Doctor Strange and Spider-Man, like frequent crossover partners. Yeah, he is kind of like, he isn't a street-level hero, but because he's so firmly based in New York, I feel he gets lumped into that kind of like, the very obvious New York group of the Avengers of like, Matt Murdock and and the Fantastic Four and Doctor Strange and Spider-Man are like, these characters And the X-Men a bit. (laughs) Yes, but they're... they're They're a slightly different thing, but like all of these characters all crossed over with each other a bunch back in the day. Because these were the successful characters and no one gave a shit about Captain America and Iron Man. So, you know, it made sense to get him in. Positive sign, because, you know, I think ever since Benedict got cast as Doctor Strange, it's been like, he surely is going to be too busy to get regularly. 
and like at some point he's just going to piece out on this and get replaced by someone else and yeah so signing him up for this was like okay that's cool and then the the, the fucking Mephisto <laughs> speculation starts back up and they're like oh he wouldn't behave like this and it's like he totally fucking would like what movies have you been watching <laughs> that's the whole fucking thing he's like this maverick sorcerer who is somehow really powerful because he's the chosen one but yeah and they were like oh that line reading was strange and he's standing by a fire and it's like okay you are reaching so fucking far i understand for this one why they're pulling to mephisto though. of course of course because well they're, they're, they're aping from that story where spider-man or peter makes that deal with mephisto i want no one to remember who i am and the unfortunate side effect is that includes mary jane so his were they married at this point they were married at this point yeah uh, may had died he'd obviously unmasked himself to the entire world during civil war and that was kind of like a bit yeah. in the arse and all the rest of it so i mean it in the comics probably one of the smartest things they've ever done yeah like, like unmasking that. him in civil war was like you needed to do something huge and that was about the biggest secret identity they had to play with but immediately everybody knew this was a mistake <laughs> yeah like it's not like they managed to get the genie in the bottle back with matt murdoch and i feel like that's what they were kind of going for is that like yeah they were playing with really interesting stuff for that kind of decade of Daredevil where mm. everyone knew that Matt Murdock was Daredevil, but there was just enough. Yeah. He's like, like wearing t-shirts that say I'm not Daredevil and stuff like that. And like, but other people are being Daredevil near him, like Iron yep. Fist and, and other characters are pretending to be, to be Daredevil. So there's enough kind of like yep. smoke and mirrors to make people doubt it. Like yep. not everyone 100% believes it, which is what makes it like similar yeah. to what Tony Stark does where like, Iron Man's my bodyguard. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that would be so easy. I mean, I know that, you know, they, they made their statement right from day one of the MCU by having him admit he's Iron Man, but with how tech has improved and like how you see all these unmanned suits that he's just remote controlling, like that would be so easy to pull off if they ever wanted to have done that. But they didn't, and it works, and it's fine. But um, I mean, it's, it is why Civil War is not about secret identities, because none of these people are secret identities yeah. most of them are like public record have been like soldiers or like are employees of the government by the yeah. time you get to civil war yeah so and, and we see that reflected here but you just swap mephisto for dr strange to not piss off the christian church because mephisto is basically satan um <laughs> i think actually satan is canonical it's somewhere in marvel as well but you know basically big red devil man yeah, and you change it to Doctor Strange, and you know the the emotional like denouement at the end is Mary Jane forgets him, and, and everybody forgets him. Happy forgets him, and he ends up in a shitty apartment, a la Spider Man Two, and he just goes off to be Spider Man again. He's not an Avenger, probably a good call. I don't really like Spider Man in the Avengers. I think he works better as a as a guest and and stuff like that. And you know they ostensibly have set themselves up for a second trilogy that is more in the vein of spider-man 2 which you know many people have complained including yourself that like you know there's no skyscrapers you know it, it doesn't feel like classic poor peter parker who's you know the thing that makes the music sing for spider-man is you know he the reason he is like a template blueprint character is that he had a shitty home life, <laughs> but then he's fucking Spider-Man. Like, I wouldn't even he, say he had a shitty home life, because well, it's like, he's got people who love him, it's just well, he's okay, coming fine. at it from a position of, like, not much privilege. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And he's, he's got, his heart is in the right place, and he's trying to make up for this, like, great tragedy in his life yeah. that, like, he inadvertently caused. 
but like you know he he's dirt poor he's struggling to make rent he's he's failing in college he's failing in high school like he's one of the biggest issues ever he has a cold and he has to fight crime while he has a cold and that sounds so fucking ridiculous but stuff like that had never even been conceived really and like you know, none of that is there. He 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 has this huge leg up from Tony Stark. He has access to like billions. He's an Avenger immediately. He's got all this support. He seemingly kind of has his shit together more than Peter traditionally does at, in his Peter life. And you know, he doesn't step foot near a skyscraper. He doesn't do any huge it, web swinging. And yeah, it's like it's... okay, fine. Like it felt at first like right, this makes sense. You're trying to distinguish yourself. But as it goes on and you're still not seeing him swing through skyscrapers, it's like, mm. When you watch Homecoming and you're like, oh, wow, we're doing like a proper Queen set movie. Like, we're in the boroughs of New York. We're not in yeah. Manhattan. We're not doing, like, he is living in the big city, kind of, like, trying to make ends meet. That's an interesting take on this character. And we're gonna, probably going to get this high school trilogy. And as well as the fact there's, like, you've skipped over the traditional Spider-Man backstory. Like, Uncle Ben's name is not mentioned at all in any of these movies, I don't uh, think. They say Ben once. But like it's still not like they don't they don't dwell on it to the degree that like I mean it's like Batman's parents like you know there are people who are like I cannot see this man die again kind of thing <laughs> but to to like kind of remove it entirely and I know a lot of people will rub the wrong way that like Tony Stark almost becomes his Uncle Ben like he is the most important male figure in his life and like he is more devastated by Tony's death or or you know when he's fading away as well in. Infinity War, it's like, this is a moment between these two. It's not a moment between Peter and, and May or, like, you know, or any of the women in his life. It is like, oh, yes, Tony Stark is his, his biggest emotional moment. And I understand why that rubs people the wrong way. I still maintain that was a smart pairing to do for them at the time. I'm glad we're away from it now and they sort of went out of their way and far from home to be like, he's... He may be have some similarities, but he doesn't need to be the next Tony, and he's not the next Tony. Yeah, like they um, definitely made him a bit too tech focused, which I think is them also borrowing from like the more recent run of comics where you've right. got like Parker Industries and and those kind of things, where it's like he is an inve- an inventor and a technological mind on the level of a Tony Stark or a Reed Richards or a yeah. or a Hank McCoy or whatever. Like, let's put him up to this level. Is and, what and, that, and that's just them. What do you do with a character that his best? His most successful days are when he's in high school and college. You can't keep him there forever. Time has to move on at some point. What does adult Peter Parker do for a living? He probably works at a tech company, a science lab, like something like that. And it makes sense. But to go there in his sort of like school years is a bit like, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and, and But you get Homecoming. And Homecoming is this like actually good high school movie. Yes. Um, again, <laughs> the big set piece of that movie is not in New York, they go to DC on a field trip <laughs> and then he's like stuck in a stuck in a warehouse for, for yeah. like 20 minutes of the movie and yeah. like they keep on removing him from New York and it's like, it works here especially because you've got Keaton kind of like backing up with this with this like powerhouse villain performance, like one of the the best Spider-Man villain performances in a franchise which is kind of known for, for interesting villain picks yeah. and then you kind of go like, right cool, we've done the high school movie I'm excited to see what they do for Spider-Man 2 especially now we're post- Endgame, like, let's see what they do. And then they just come out with, like, we go to Europe. And it's like, what? Like, it's just a baffling take, even more in yeah. hindsight, about, like, why you have completely removed Spider Man from this environment. And, it, it, and again, it is, as you said, like, it's about them trying to distance themselves from the fact that we have had five mm-hmm. New York, Manhattan based movies and they're trying to make this different. And it doesn't click 
what they're doing until you reach the end of this movie. Yeah. And you get the revelation that what they've been doing is these three movies are a Spider-Man orange story. Yeah, absolutely. And and I I probably haven't said this on a podcast, but I did feel that's kind of what they were going for, that like you're seeing his origin writ large kind of thing. Like it's not about like seeing the bite and seeing Uncle Ben die. It's about the like the learning to it's the growing up and it's the reaching that point that we know kind of thing. And I, I think it's ultimately, you know, while Far From Home is a strange, strange movie that like is hard to feel strongly positive or negative about, still ultimately this true. And, you know, we're probably about to spend some time digging into some faults with this movie. I still think that works. This is all a lot of talk around Spider-Man in general and we alluded at it's kind of a mess and like a large part of wanting to see it is what does this look like as a movie how is it structured and it turned out the structure is it's kind of three movies where you have dealing with what happened in far from home and the sequel to what they've been doing so far then you have here are all the old villains let's go catch them and then you have we have three spider-men and let's have a big fight at the search of liberty and I figure we talk about these three separately. So, you know, obviously the big bombshell at the end of Far From Home, J.J. Jonah Jameson's back, Mysterio filmed and edited. So, you know, his last piece of vengeance was he made it look like, I mean, one, he unmasks Peter Parker, and two, he makes it look like he murdered him in cold blood. Jonah Jameson puts this on every billboard in the world, every screen in the world, and you end with, you know, everyone knows he's Peter Parker, and he says, what the fuck? And yeah, so we have about 30, 40 minutes of trying to deal with that, and everyone hates him and loves Mysterio and calls him a murderer, and they're hounding them all at their apartments, and, like, there's all this weirdness going on at the school, and then who fucking shows up to defend him when they try to arrest them all? But Matt fucking Murdoch. So happy that he's he's here, and, you know... We talked about last week with Hawkeye that D'Onofrio, you know, Kingpin is in and there were rumours that both of them would sort of show up around the same time because Hawkeye was airing when this movie came out. I don't know if that quite held true, but certainly relatively close together. We, we had the reveal that it was D'Onofrio in the photo at the end of Hawkeye. Spider-Man's out like the next day or the Friday. Right. And then yeah. D'Onofrio's big appearance is on the Wednesday afterwards. Yeah, yeah. And like, you know, even hearing these heavy rumours he was in it, it still kind of fucked me up in the first 10 minutes, if that, to just have him sitting casually in <laughs> Peter's kitchen. Yeah, and there's like there's like leaked shots of there's another scene obviously that they did with like Happy and and Matt sat around a table in a in an office. Yeah, but yeah. like in the movie, it really is just the one scene. And how packed was your screening? Because obviously you're uh, a, you're like a I like to go on a weekday morning kind of person. <laughs> yeah, I try to avoid big crowds, especially because of COVID. But just in general, I don't like a busy cinema. Relatively, for when I went to see it, um, there was like a big reaction. Yeah, not yeah, like clapping and cheering or anything like that. But a lot of <gasps> well, that's, that's kind of my main my main thing. And like, obviously, like it's it's more apparent later on in this movie with with Toby and with Andrew. But like when Matt showed up, there was definitely like a smattering of applause. It definitely wasn't like this huge thing. Like I think some people were like, who is this? It's been a while since <laughs> I watched the, the Netflix shows. And I think also shows like, because we have no metrics for how big Netflix shows are, like mm. maybe how little viewership ah. some of these Netflix things have, even if you... It feels like everyone's seen Daredevil, but here's the reveal. Not many people have seen Daredevil. <laughs> you know, it, it's so quick and it's like, He's entirely in civilian costume. Uh, he catches the brick through the window that was allegedly originally a snow globe 
and they changed it digitally to a brick and he catches it moments before Peter can and it's all this sort of like, oh, I'm a very good lawyer. So it's like, you know, he clearly is Daredevil. I guess the thing is Matt's always had his quote-unquote abilities since he was a teenager, so it doesn't prove he's Daredevil, but it strongly looks like he's already Daredevil. You know, I'm really happy he's here. He deserves to be here. Like, that show is great. It's better than all the shows that Disney have made. And yeah, we'll I mean, if you, if you, again, we've said, if you're going to salvage anything, you're salvaging kind of like the big two, yes. really. And it is, it is Charlie and it is Vincent, yeah. really. I do have to ask, though, how did it play to you on an at-home viewing? Like, obviously, there's a level of, like, you know it's there. Yeah. But, like, I feel like... I feel it kind of takes the zip out of it when you know it's It's sort of like, ah, this is just here for whatever, isn't it? Well, that's the thing. is like, I think Endgame's stuff, like, stacks up so well on, like, a rewatch. Like, I can throw on the portal scene of Endgame and still have, like some of that emotional rush that I had in the cinema. I can still I see... cannot. <laughs> yeah, but you're, you are also, like, the lone, the lone of Endgame, kind of overrated. I think the last third of Endgame is a pile of shit. Anyway, um... <laughs> I, I can still throw on, like, cat-catching Mjolnir and, sure, like, get, like, sure. get, like, some of the emotional rush. I like, and, I like that bit, yeah. I and, like, know. when I watch this movie, I kind of get nothing from any of the, like, surprise cameos. I'm way more... people have been talking in the wake of both Doctor Strange and Moon Knight that, like, there has been just this conditioning that cameos equals good kind of thing. And, like, if you don't have a big person showing up, people, like, a sector of the Marvel fans, like, riot and turn on the movie. It was very cool to see him here, but what purpose is he functionally serving? You could have just had Happy be, like... Like, they didn't need to get arrested. I mean, I get why you would have it happen. But they could just go to Happy's compound without having to, like, suggest he goes somewhere safe kind of thing. <laughs> it kind of just feels like it's there just to get a pop in a movie that was getting a lot of eyeballs. And, like, you know, good for him. He's in a $2 billion movie. But it, it kind of, like the movie in general, first watch, oh, my God. Second watch, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's this. I think the other issue is is that, like, when the the stuff that happens in Endgame is kind of stuff that they've been building up for a while, like Cap catching Mjolnir set up in Age of Ultron. Yes. Like, like the moment of the portals is kind of like you're waiting for like the big hero moment and the finally saying Avengers Assemble. It's all been built into like what the the structure of this movie is. Whereas Doctor Strange and and this movie, there's no build up to these characters coming in. There's no reason why in Spider-Man's journey he has to meet the other Spider-Man or Daredevil. No. The cameos are there for the name recognition of like yeah. these two characters in a room and you get to see them interact with each other, but they actually have no yeah. Like it kind of feels like they're other. using the other Spider-Men to like shortcut their way to some of the emotional weight that Peter's origin it's supposed to have. <laughs> like, and like, and like, you're kind of doing the death of Gwen Stacy when you don't have a Gwen Stacy. I do appreciate that like this movie tries, and it's kind of more of a second part thing, we'll discuss it there, but like the movie picks up the emotional chains of mm. the, the previous Spider-Man movies, and I think that definitely helps it. Yeah. And but it kind of comes at the cost of in this movie where like they have to wrap up the emotional cost of the last two movies right now. And this opening section has like all the cameos from all the characters that you kind of got to know and love in the early Spider-Man movies. Like Flash is gone from this movie after this opening section. And his hilariously bad shot where he's standing on the street. Yeah, is it is it Betty Brant as well who's the she's, school she's in the very first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like when we watched it with my partner I was like, "Oh, that she was not there on set that day. They 
they've like photoshopped yeah. her face onto a stand-on actress who's like actually there on set that day yeah. and then all of her shots are green screened in later and yeah. again like it's all like some of the clearest covid stuff is in this opening stretch where like yeah. it's so obvious that none of these actors were available like flash again is like egregious where you have he's in like three shots i think one he's in the scene when they like walk into the school but like him at the, the mit mixer. party yeah, yeah yeah he's obviously green screen him on the street with them disappearing into the grate underneath him is yeah. is obviously green screen and then him when he comes in with his mit letter and he stood in the doorway and the other three actors are like yeah. in their own shot all together because obviously they've bubbled together and stuff like that and it's like yeah i it's the, the, the big issue with this movie. You can just see it it's all the, the time, the seams of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, you know, I there's something about, I don't know, I feel I'm starting to turn on the style of Spider-Man writing they've been doing all along. Like, it's when he's like talking to the teachers and you've got Martin Starr gushing over him with a monument and you've got Hannibal yeah. Buress like basically saying, you're a fucking criminal. And I'm just like, this is this all feels really tired at this point. And it's like, it's weird because all of that is in Homecoming and I still really like Homecoming. <laughs> but I just, I feel this, the their like style of joke and their style of like just scene energy has started to wear out its welcome for me. And all of this stuff in the school is kind of underlining that. And, you know, you, you have the like shitty, like they haven't gotten into MIT because of, their association with or being Spider-Man and it's like that sucks and like it's cool seeing like MJ at her little workplace and, and like you know seeing them all hang out is still fun the Holland and Zendaya are super fucking cute together still um and you know they only got together very late in Far From Home and that like kind of a beat of the movie is they can't get any time alone together to just be a couple and be excited together and they make that work. I don't know if they started dating in Far From Home, but obviously they started dating in real life at some point, and like that kind of infuses the performance a little bit. Like it's they have more chemistry than almost any other MCU love interests at yeah. this point. So yeah, I mean, I don't want to say I don't like this first stretch, but like I don't know, it all feels a little bit like you know you've got all that stuff you've just said with the COVID. You know, I'm starting to find that stuff a bit grating the way they write it all and like it's the same writers like they've if anything they've they've sort of pared down how many there are because they homecoming's got like six writers and then you drop down to just the two for far from home and then that those same two are writing this movie and they've come from community they've come from american dad and there is that joke that like every joke in the mcu feels like a sort of rejected community joke it's like it's because they're literally employing like half of the writing staff of community and i guess without that like guiding hand to say this is funny this isn't funny maybe they're not as good as they seem they are <laughs> but something about this first 40 minutes now just doesn't feel the same as it did we're kind of getting around like we brought up chris mckenna and eric summers now and we kind of have to talk about the elephant in the room john watts john watts John like no the, longer directing Fantastic Four Watts. The the first Marvel director to complete a trilogy. Yes. Oh, fuck. 
like and obviously the Russos have got four movies to their name. They basically like scale up and up and up in terms of like what their scale is and they know how to deal with the big the big kind of communal movies and they've got like probably the best MCU writing team at their at the behind them essentially. Um I think we're like I think we're very much a thing that like they're obviously very good with ensembles coming from television and they're obviously got people who care about these movies and care about these characters writing the stories, someone who's been there in the MCU since the very beginning functionally with with Marcus McFeely. John Watts is hired onto Homecoming off the back of Cop Car, which is this kind of like crime thriller with Kevin Bacon that's like gory but got kids and juggling kind of like comedic and joyful tones with with very dark stuff. And I think he gets hired fundamentally because he's got a pitch for the high school stuff. Yeah. And that, that's fundamentally why he's hired is because I want to make the Breakfast Club have it be a Spider-Man movie. And they're like, great, cool. That yeah. sounds good. And now he's just stuck around, I think, because he is a very recent talent who obviously has a, a way with these actors. Yeah. But it's so obvious that he's completely outclassed by like the what this movie needs it to be. And he just doesn't have the stylings to like make it look interesting in in any way, really. And yeah. and it's kind of made even more apparent by the fact that like literally the movie that was released after this is Sam Raimi's Doctor Strange. And <laughs> I know people are kind of like not a fan of that movie. Like you see the weekend drop from Doctor Strange being like sixty eight percent down. There are Jesus. people who like vehemently hate Doctor Strange two, but that movie has a visual style, mm-hmm. and it and it fucking goes for it. Like like I've been watching all the Sam Raimi movies. Like I watched all the Spider Man movies in the run up to this. I've been watching every movie from Evil Dead through to The Gift, in the run up to doing this podcast. I've still got two left to watch. But like you watch Doctor Strange, and it's like no this. This fits in Raimi's oeuvre. Like, yeah, it has personality, and you can tell it's one of his. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like, if if John Watts is to go on and do other things after Marvel, you wouldn't like, have a clue what they would look like. Yeah, yeah that's thing. I have no idea what this person's style yeah. is. As he's, director. he's a vibes guy. Like, he's a producer. Probably. Like, like he. I think, as you said, like he he kind of nailed that. Like the kind of the the tone of homecoming and like you know as you said like breakfast club but spider-man and like you know he they he helped bond this cast together and like all of that stuff works but then it's like when it comes to making a compelling movie he just doesn't have anything about him whatsoever and like, i think we all have <laughs> you know a sigh of relief as he steps down from fantastic four and it was unbelievable he was involved at all and i assume it was because you know, he takes a property that is a beloved, you know, the in the in the sort of top five, the OG like important Marvel projects uh, that had had previous entries, some of which were not very good, and he sort of rebooted it and retooled it and 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 made it successful again. And you know, regardless of how we feel about them critically, these Spider-Man movies are financially more successful than any of the ones that came before. Yeah, each one like doubles the last movie's gross. Yeah, it is insane. Yeah, so I get it. Like they, on some level, they're like, "Well, you did all of that, so why don't you do a Fantastic Four? But like, I want Fantastic Four to be a really good movie. <laughs> um, and we'll, yeah. you know, we'll get into all of that. Next yeah, and, year, and I but... wonder how much of it is. We're not. We don't know what Spider-Man looks like after this. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll keep him in house and keep him with Kevin Feige. Yeah. And obviously, it's pretty obvious that they've made a Spider-Man Four deal at this point, and it's going to be a more stripped-down movie. And like that might fit him better. And I think again, it's, these movies getting too scaled up. Like the European movie with elementals and mysterious powers, and it all being previsd, and just all these different things kind of get in the way. And then this movie gets so big, and he's got to do a riff on 
Scott Derrickson's mirror universe in this movie, which is obviously all previs, and then you've got to do like a fight scene with a Spider-Man that show off their personalities, but have it be COVID safe and and it just, yeah, he he has no personality, and you should be putting personality on this opening third, like in the same way that we were talking about Shang Chi, where mm. like he, th- there is personality in those first two acts, and I feel like there isn't much here. And then the movie kind of gets this jolt of life when Alfred Molina shows up and yeah. he settles right back into... It's kind of just coasting along on what the personality was in the first one and I just think it's diminishing returns each time out because there's nothing new to do with... You know, if you want to be like, oh, Ned and Betty are in a relationship for, like, two days or, you know, it's like, okay, that's a cute joke, but, like, you've done nothing really to change up what you established in the first movie and you're kind of just doing more of it and then yeah diminishing returns and yeah we'll get into like what's going to happen with uh, the future of spider-man at the end but like yeah the thing is he is but he's now proved himself like he's got the credits that mean he's going to get jobs for forever i feel yeah like, but i feel he's going to get his next job outside of marvel and it's not going to be good and it's going to all crumble around him a la the game of thrones guys and a la fucking noah hawley like but we'll see but yeah so you know the first act culminates in you know he goes to Doctor Strange and like sort of suggest you know is like oh could you make it so that this all sort of goes away and you know he just wants to do right by MJ and Ned he wants them to go to college and we have this scene in like the the snow covered Sanctum Santorum and like Wong is now the Sorcerer Supreme because Strange was dusted for five years and all of this stuff. And it's like, okay, it's covered in snow for some reason. I guess that's funny. Who knows? <laughs> but some people had some problems with uh, some of the lines in the trailer. They obviously softened the swear, like Scooby-Doo this crap becomes Su- Scooby-Doo this shit. I think it does work slightly better with the shit than the crap. But yeah, it's just strange in sweatpants with a with a mug of of cocoa or coffee or whatever, like super casual. And it's like, yeah, okay, let's do your spell. I don't know. What do you, what do you think of Strange in the movie? I mean, he's better as a supporting character. Yeah. I do think he's still not like that compelling as as like an entity. I think he's he's fundamentally one of my like less favorite castings in the MCU. Even though he seemed perfect at the time, I think he's struggling with doing the American accent. Is I think his... Yeah, we've, we've said already, like, it, just let him be English. Like, no one would care. It would just make him even more like, ooh, you're unusual, aren't you? And it just sounds like a bad house. It's also the other issue with this opening stretch is that so much of it is just kind of like, it's got so much information it has to convey to you. And the movie's kind of like at this breathless running full tilt at like having to go like yeah. here's what's happening here's what's happening here's what's happening and then like it gets to slow down mm. once like strangers cast the spell and and the villains are back and it gets to introduce like what the the core meat of this movie is going to be yeah. Act one as you as we've said is like it has to conclude the high school portion of the movie it has to wrap up the cliffhanger from the end of, of the last movie so that we can move on mm-hmm. and it feels like it kind of sweeps all of, i mean i know the entire moment of impetus for, for all of it is, is like is that he wants to undo this thing where everyone knows where he who he is but to a degree it kind of feels like it sweeps all of that under the rug pretty quickly and it kind of has to to get it out of the way so they can make a completely different movie and i guess that's another thing to say is that i think it was pretty clear that originally this movie didn't have 
three Spider-Men and five returning villains. I think even Craven was supposed to be in this movie. Yeah, like they've wanted to do a Craven movie for so long. They wrote a Craven script, I have to I feel like, and I do wonder how much of it is. They knew the multiverse was coming because this movie is kind of like the first like entirely post COVID script, mm. I feel. Because obviously they start shooting like middle of 2020, and I feel like the entire production comes together in, in in that way, similar to Doctor Strange, which is also entirely a post-COVID movie. Yeah, they're leaning so heavily into the multiverse, and it, it balloons this movie up in a way that mm. kind of makes it not make sense. It kind of makes none of the three movies click into being a satisfying yeah. trajectory for a series. Is no. the kind of thing where it's like none of the movies fit together to give you the arc of Spider-Man other than they get to graph this thing on the end and go like cool now we finally have our spider-man yeah it kind of feels like yeah they, they've they've bolted on all these cameos and all these like returning things and like they've pivoted into okay what if it's him catching all the old villains when originally i assume it's like his identity is made public craven can now hunt him 24 7 kind of thing i i, I don't i don't know but like yeah the None of this was planned, and all of it was sort of like, I don't know if someone was like, could we get them? Oh, they're interested in doing it because no one's working because of COVID or whatever. So yeah, you know, like, the, he wants to do the spell. He keeps adding corrections, which is fucking with the spell. Like, oh, actually, I want this person to remember, and this person, and this person. They end up kind of not doing the spell, but kind of, you know, it, it opens up a rift in realities enough that, you know, the middle portion of the movie arrives with Dr. Octopus on the bridge with the cars, chucking cars, classic Doc Ock stuff. Why shoot brightly coloured lasers and punch each other when you just fling a fucking car at the guy? Like, <laughs> So I have to... Were you worried when they... Because obviously you you have covered the Raimi and the Web movies for, mm. for Big Spiders on this podcast. Mm. And you're kind of like... You and, you and Mike, your co-host, are very similar in the opinion that like sometimes the Raimi movies get too like high camp. Yeah... I mean, I've softened on that a bit, but I think I've just always had like a bit of a uh, guttural reaction when people fall over themselves praising, particularly Doc Ock, like Alfred Molina, like being like, this is the best villain performance in any superhero movie ever, by far, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, he's kind of at times doing wahaha. And I don't know, like, so yeah, I was probably a little bit less excited than some people who were like, oh, finally, we get the good people back. But I did re-watch Spider-Man 2, like, in, in the last sort of six months, and I'm like, you know what? I'm just being a difficult little fuck. Like, this is a fucking great movie. <laughs> and, like, the, 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 the huge fight scene where they're, like, fighting up a building and, like, the train and all of that's, like, that's a perfect scene. I personally, and maybe we're going to bleed into another section of this podcast... I think Molina and especially Defoe might be better here than they were in their original movies. Well, because I think the movie's putting more emotional depth onto them, which I think is... I mean, Molina's got plenty of, like, pathos and, yeah. and such in that movie. Like, the opening scenes of him being, like, a kindly yes. grandfather-type character or uncle-type character to Peter are, like, yeah. genuinely incredible that he gets to put in that performance and then also do the, the mwahaha villain who's <laughs> taken over by the, the legs. And I, I was genuinely worried that we were going to get this movie that was like, let's do a more right. purely solo villainous performance from these guys. Yeah. Like, we're going to ignore all the development and anything that happened mm. in those movies. And the surprising thing is, this movie is so heavily indebted to the lore of the Raimi and the Web Spider-Man movie. Yeah, like, I remember you texted... Like, you saw this, like, a couple of days before me or whatever, and, like, you texted me, like... 
they have remembered a surprising amount. Like the stuff with the chip. Like there's an inhibitor chip that broke and therefore the arms or legs are able to override his personality somewhat. And that comes back. And and all these little things, all these little attention to detail moments, it's like, ah, okay, fair that, enough. That they didn't have to do. <laughs> no. and obviously the MCU prides itself on terms of like throwing in these little reference points, but like I genuinely thought it was going to be like a proper Sinister Six movie. There's the six villains. They're all going to be fairly easily dispatched. They're not going to have much time. We've got to get the other Spider-Men at some point. And then this movie kind of goes like, no, like they're exactly the people that they were mm-hmm. in these original movies. Like Sandman isn't a villain. Sandman just wants to see his daughter. The yeah. only one who is like purely villainous is is Lizard. <laughs> really. <laughs> he wants to turn people into lizards, man. <laughs> like, fair enough. Yeah, and, but that, that's that's the thing. I was kind of like, and I know people call this section of the movie kind of like saggy, and know. I'm like, no, this is this is my favorite bit of the movie. Is yeah. this is like, and I know it's like stripped down, but like this is kind of like these five actors. Obviously, two of them are not there, but like getting to to put an arc and an emotional level onto what they were doing in previous movies, like Jamie Fox. I don't think he gets to redeem Amazing Spider-Man 2. Does his best. <laughs> he does, but he gets to do something that, like, gives him more to do than he got to do in Amazing Spider-Man 2. Like, well, they literally yeah. Go, that, like, that. He's, he's the one where they literally go, like, remember that you were a nerd in glasses who had his, like, gap tooth fixed when you got electric powers? No, you're going to be Jamie Foxx. You're just going to be hot now. Like, <laughs> fuck it. No explanations necessary. You're just hot. To be fair, that character, like, it felt a little bit racist. Ah, what if he's just cool now? Say what you want, like, you know, Doc Ock shows up and he immediately feels just so much more, like, dangerous than than any of the villains normally are in these things. And, like, you know, flinging fucking cars. And, like, there is just a level of, like, I don't have time for this shit. Here's a car for you, kind of thing. <laughs> he feels just, like a proper Spider-Man villain. Yeah, yeah. It's just causing rampant destruction. He has no time for anyone's shit. He is furious in a quiet sort of way. The, they do the cutesy stuff with, like, you know, he's wearing the adaptive suit, so, like, when he stabs a hole out, it just reappears in a different place, and, like, then the nanotech overtakes one of the arms, and then he takes control of Doc Ock's arms, and then he's basically neutered him for most of the movie, and, yeah, I, I like it. I mean, you get the, the tease of the, the pumpkin bomb, and you hear the Green Goblin laugh, I think. Um, you see, like, you see the suit, the old classic suit, and then they kind of go, like, no, let's we need to see Willem Dafoe's face. We need to like, show you've got Willem Dafoe back. So they, they smashed the mask almost immediately after this scene. Mm. Um, and then he's kind of going around in, in the body armor, but he's got like a purple neckerchief. Yes. He kind of floating gives... head Dafoe, which again, I didn't notice when I watched in the movies and when people were saying like, Oh yeah, his head is just floating. I was like, what are you talking about? And then I watched it and it's all I could fucking see that like his head has been CG'd on in places. And like, but, but again, like they make the important distinction of like, Green Goblin is mm-hmm. Spider-Man's like arch nemesis. Yeah, and, and, and they make it... him such a fucking powerhouse in this movie. Like so, that fight scene. I mean, we're jumping around a little bit, but like the huge fight scene through the apartment complex is like so violent in a way that they normally aren't. And it's like he's trying to fuck him up, <laughs> and he just comes across. You know, he's the last one standing. He is the one that like. Peter wants to kill for reasons we'll get into in a minute. Yeah, and like also the fact that like he is haunted by the goblin gas that like sort of made him go insane. And like it is a voice in his head and like he talks to the mask and like they almost frame it to look like Spider-Man no more with like the mask hanging on a corner of a dumpster as he mm. like 
runs off or whatever. And I like that as like a duality. And then like, you know, the whole time he's like masquerading as this meek, homeless man who's confused and he doesn't know where his son is and no one, you know, there are people living in his apartment. And like the whole time you're like, is he going to do like a little wry smile and reveal he's playing them? And it's like, maybe he was at times being genuine. And then like when the notion of turning them back comes, you know, when they all see like, the collection of toys that Peter has at his disposal, they all just have this shared, like, hmm, or I could be super evil again. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I, you know, I just enjoyed the scene of the five of them in yeah. together and, like, bantering and all the rest of it. And I know yeah. some people don't like that, and I think there are some, like, really bad moments in the middle of this. Like, the, mm. the MCU's urge to, like, under make the joke before other people make the joke, like, yeah, with the... Yeah, um, yeah. I'm Dr. Otto Octavius, Dr. Yeah, Octopus. Yeah, yeah. And then, ha, 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 ha. And it's like, okay, like, the Raimi movies take this completely serious. Like, everyone yeah. was, like, throwing around the scene of J.K. Simmons naming Dr. Octopus <laughs> in, in Spider-Man 2, which is a great scene of, like, yeah. it's funny, it's winking at the audience, it knows this is a goofy-as-fuck name, but mm. it isn't doing it at the expense of, like, this is what the character's going to be called. Where... Yeah, I think you're exactly right, where they're like, hey, we're, we're cool, we know some of the stuff is silly, but we're still cool, guys, we get it. And it's like, just lean into it, own what you have. Like, people like Dr. Octopus, you don't need to make fun of him for no reason. <laughs> and you've got stuff like, you know, so, you know, it's strange, it's like, oh, here's, like, basically a portal web gun, find these guys, portal them back here into magical cells and then I'll send them all back to their universes so you get this sort of like ghost hunting section and you know they go out to find Electro and Sandman and he has to turn the suit inside out because it's stained and then you get this quasi like you know one of the many Spider-Man costumes we've had with basically black and gold webbing you know Sandman is sort of working with him and then a bit like hey what are you doing what did you just do to that guy did you kill him and the tension there, because Sandman is in theory so powerful. So, and like, you see it, like, you know, you see the little sand, like, we have this brief moment of horror where, as, as he's in the woods at night and there's, like, sand in the background. And, yeah, he ends up capturing them all in the end. But then this notion that, like, they've all been plucked from their universes moments before they died. Apart from Sandman. Apart from Sandman. And Peter doesn't feel cool with sending them back to die. Strange as he always is, is sort of like, you know, the grand calculus of the multiverse, blah, 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 blah. We have a Spider-Man and, and Strange battle. I like that when he knocks his body, uh, his soul out of his body, you know, the astral projection thing, and then the spider senses are stopping Strange from taking the box from the body kind of thing. I, I, I'm always a sucker for, like, the portal stuff where, you know, you're pulling someone through to punch themselves or, or whatever. And they, you know, they have the Mirrorverse fight and he sciences that shit. Maths, he does geometry. Maths, yes, yes. This is all just geometry. I know geometry. I like that. I, I, I like that stuff. I think that's decently done. But it's just, it is very obviously all, like, pre and it's yeah. all very much, like, out of the hands of the rest of the movie. But it is riffing on, like, character interactions and stuff from other movies and whatnot. But... yeah. But yeah, like the the movie then has to go into like we're a COVID movie, we can't really do action sequences that aren't CGI <laughs> and everyone cordoned off. But like again, it's it's the same reason why I love Endgame so much is that movie has like a fully two hours of that movie which are just people talking really with like mm. not very much action. And like, I'm like, no, you you've hired these actors, let let them act. And obviously, yeah. like they don't get to act in like big powerful performance ways that you're going to give them Oscars or anything like that but I do think that there is a level of 
familiarity and history that these scenes get to convey and you get to like put across what their points of view are like you know that sam Allen just wants to go home to see his daughter you know that electro's kind of like this world has tony stark tech which <laughs> makes me like excited like yeah i could be a god here <laughs> otto is like the first one who is cured and like then for the rest of the movie he's a good guy like yeah kind of i mean yeah, like he doesn't try and fight them at the end, does he? No, he like he yeah. fucks off for like most of the final fight scene, but then he shows mm. back up to kind of help them yeah, take yeah. down some of the villains at the end. Like, D- you know, one of them is immediately cured. One of them never really wanted to fight that much anyway. One of them is a lizard man who like just sits quietly in vans and stuff like that because we don't want to animate the lizard more than we have to. So yeah, you know, it all comes together and they all go to Happy's apartment uh, to brainstorm all the cures for each of them. And then the tensions shift. And I do like the way they do the spider sense where Peter just gets bad vibes from somebody. That that is probably the most John Watts kind of like flourish on this. And I want to give him props for that because it is probably the most interesting portrayal of like spider sense we've had in any of these movies is just like, he just knows something is up. Something's off. He doesn't know where it's coming from. And he's like walking around the room and then he like settles in on the source. And it's like, you. And then, yeah, we get this hyper-violent fight, we get this mass escape, this mass breakout. I mean, we haven't talked about her at all. I mean, obvious spoilers, I'm spoiling everything. Aunt May dies, and it's devastating. <laughs> it works so well, because Tomei's at her best here. Yes. Obviously, like, because that's the thing, like, Aunt May kind of feels a little bit untouchable <laughs> in these movies. It's, like, you have scenes where she's in danger. Like, Amazing Spider-Man never really puts her in any danger, but, like, Spider-Man 2 has obviously... Rosemary Harris involved in the in the big fights with Doctor Octopus. Yeah, yeah. And and you know, uh, Goblin appears before her, and we have the fucking Lord's Prayer. And yes, stuff like yes, that. yeah. Like they, they 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 put her in danger, but she was never really like in harm in those yeah, movies. No, she she is like in the building with Peter as she's like as he's trying to help these people because she's kind of like fallen in with with Osborne. Yeah, she she supports the idea of you've got to help them and like this is your problem. You can't just say, "Hey, I'm not going to deal with this." And yeah, like Osborne's really tricked her slash bonded with her genuinely unsure. It turns out she was his uncle Ben all along. <laughs> yeah, like there's a lot of characters that get by goblin gliders in the comic books. <laughs> like I think that's yeah. how Harry Osborne dies originally. Yeah. Is obviously how Norman dies in the comics. Is Gwen knocked off the top of the bridge by the goblin glider? Or is she thrown off by by Goblin? I can't remember to that level it, of detail. I, like, I know it, it's, it's a Goblin, recurring but... imagery in all the comics. Is that like the Goblin glider is kind of this like death chariot? <laughs> yeah, and Goblin summons it, flies it into the room. May get struck, but you don't see like mm-hmm. her getting like impaled as she obviously does. Yeah. And basically, the next five minutes is her like bleeding out and not realizing that she's going into like shock or anything like yeah. that. And, and she she's just she feels tired, she feels cold, and, and it's just that subtle color. And you know, Peter doesn't even for a second entertain the idea she could be seriously. He's like, oh, you're okay, just just rest for a second, and then. I mean, let's just get into this now. Marissa Tomei wins all Marvel for this death portrayal, which is so haunting and powerful, even on the second watch. Did get me for sure. And, like, you know, it just that she just kind of goes mid conversation like that and it just completely breaks him. And, and the thing is, you know, it's coming 
when yeah. she does the like with great power there must also come great responsibility and yes. you kind of go like oh fuck they haven't said this and now they've they've dropped the the like this character surely gonna die like this is the yeah. the message that spider-man needs yeah this is learn. this is the uncle ben moment like you know and then like that she becomes that for him uh, in the grand reveal that the whole trilogy was an origin story this is your uncle ben's death moment um, so i do have to ask I, I think this movie gives itself a very difficult way out in the comics uncle ben dies because spider-man does not do what he should do yes like that is that is the entire thing is that like by his inaction because he's you know but her like like selfish he doesn't he doesn't stop the the robber at the the wrestling center so therefore uncle ben gets shot by the same robber in this though he is trying to help yes he this isn't a a lesson this is well, unless you want to say the lesson is like people around, he can't have people around him, which I hate that fucking. It's easy fertile ground to tell stories, but I've always fucking hated this notion that like you must operate solo and, you know, if anyone knows, all your loved ones are in trouble. But it's I just don't like it personally. Yeah. But yeah, like it, he's not done anything wrong. This isn't a teachable moment. Like, I think it's what I wish the movie leaned into more after this is mm. that like, this is a Spider-Man who's on a dark path. And what? he needs he needs Tobey Maguire Spider Man. He needs Andrew Garfield Spider Man to kind of like pull him onto the right level. And yeah. they do have bits of it. Like they do. Yeah. They like obviously he he is the one who's like he is gonna fucking murder Norman Osborn at the end of this movie with with <laughs> yeah. the glider, and and he gets stopped from doing that. But I wish he was kind of like no, I don't see why we're curing them. Like these guys are evil. Yeah. And like like that, I kind of wish you were playing more on that. And yeah, like were... that's the lesson he takes from it. Of I shouldn't have tried to help them, and then the others are like, no, you should always try and help people. Like that's something to do. Like I, you know, for me, this this middle portion is the best stretch of the movie in my in my opinion. I'd sort of go middle end. And beginning. Andrew Garfield tries his damnedest. To There's like... just too many little things in that final stretch that just pull it apart for me. But I, you know, I. The, the the returns of the villains, the acknowledging their gimmicks, the gathering them all together, the big fight, the the May death, all of that works so well for me. And like, if you want to include include the strange battle in there as well, yeah, this um, this feels like the part that was like it made the most sense. They spent the most time on it. Maybe yeah. they didn't know if they were going to get like both of Toby and Andrew back yeah. until fairly late into production. And like, it, I, it feels the least compromised to me. Is is the other thing. <laughs> It doesn't matter that the lizard and Sandman clearly aren't on set, but you really see it in the third act kind of thing. But let's get into that third act. So another consequence of bringing the villains in, <laughs> yeah, Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire just wander into our universe. I I, I hated this scene. Well, that he's we just watched. at the end of the court of the That's alleyway. The, like, yeah. Again, like you think of like how they do it in Endgame, and like when when the reveal happens of these two actors, I'm not unhappy to see them, but like. It feels like it needs. It's not to eloquently done, but you're just too. You get the emotional reaction because you have an, a, an attachment and a sentimentality for the people, and like you don't even care how they've done it as long as they do it. But objectively, this is not a compelling way to bring them in. It, it really isn't. Like yeah. it doesn't. It doesn't land. Like rewatching it, I was like, like again. There's the moment when like they have the long run up for Andrew Garfield, and he like jumps through the portal and he rips his mask off, and then there's literally like an applause break. Like there is an applause break, like. <laughs> built into the movie and I'm like oh yeah. you you literally only thought about this yeah, yeah in like a theatrical sense where you're watching this with the crowd and it yeah. lands in the crowd I saw this like not opening night but like the night afterwards and it does fucking land with people yeah. at that point but at and, home it feels yeah. 
manufactured. It feels really badly done. Yeah, yeah. Like botched, hurried, everything. And, you know, it hinges on this idea that, you know, Peter took Stranger's sling ring that lets him teleport and Ned was just fucking around with it and he's like, I want to see Peter and then you see a different Peter and, like, you know, when he's there and, you know, we talked about how they're clearly not in the same shot. Andrew Garfield is throughout giving it everything he's got to try and redeem his Spider-Man time and the stuff like hanging off the ceiling with one hand and just some of the phrasing, you know, please stop throwing bread at me and, and all this sort of stuff. Like, you know, I love him. I I'm, I feel so bad for how his time as Spider-Man went. He wanted it so badly. He poured so much into it. Corporate bullshit and a bad movie and future planning tore it all apart. And I'm really happy he gets this chance to come in and, and like, have his sort of send-off. I mean, you know, there, there is all this speculation that they're going to bring one or both of them back for some other Spider-Man project. But if this is the last time he plays it, I feel it's a nice little goodbye or a thank yeah, you or a sorry almost. He's the one that kind of needed this the most, yes. I feel. Like, cause I had never seen Amazing Spider-Man 2. Have you now? I have now. Okay, what do you but, think of it? Um, <laughs> so that's the thing, is I watched, oh, I did all the Raimis and I did all the, the web Spider-Man movies. I'd seen four of them, well, three of them in cinemas or whatever. And was like, I've got memories of all of them. I remember thinking, I thought Amazing Spider-Man 1 was like better than Spider-Man 1. And then on rewatch, I was like, oh no, this movie is like... That's exactly what I thought, yeah. <laughs> it's way too dark and a bit too hurried. And it's mm. trying to do too many things. Yes. And then Amazing Spider-Man 2 kind of opens with the best Spider-Man sequence in any of these movies. Of like him with the like the mm. weapons on the back of the truck. And he's like captain them all and stuff like that. And I was like, yeah. oh... Am I, am is, I gonna is like this something? Yeah. <laughs> am I going to be like the contrarian asshole who like doesn't think this movie's terrible, and then the rest of the movie happens, and you're like, oh, only comes alive when when Garfield and Stone are flirting with each other. Oh, yeah. Well, again, exactly like Holland and Zendaya, boosted by the couple actually being a couple. I do like the final stretch of the movie, but I, I think that is kind of hamstrung in this movie, where like that movie ends with with Andrew Garfield Spider Man in like a really dark place because obviously Gwen has died and they rush through the emotional catharsis of it and end the movie with him like remembering to be a hero again and mm. beating up Rhino and then this movie comes in and goes like no he never left the dark place he's, I know, he, he's yeah. forever haunted I by mean him. maybe we're arguing that he was plucked from that universe in the in, in the, the bad times uh, but I love you know him bonding with that kid and him taking over for the kid and everything I I, I love that personally but yeah you know, he's here, he needs this. Maguire obviously had a trilogy that, you know, we can all say what we want about Spider-Man 3. It's a, it's a successful trilogy. It's a beloved trilogy. People grew up with him as Spider-Man and are like, yeah, like Spider-Man none of the other Spider-Men are good. Like, you know, all of this shit. Spider-Man 3 is hinted at, or is, is the start of, like, the reasons why Sony shouldn't be allowed to solo make these movies is because they're <laughs> way too interested in making this, like, a big deal. They just get and, greedy and they get carried away with, like, what we could do with it. And you're seeing what if it play you, what out if time Venom? and time again. Yeah. What if you had Venom? What if we start building up to the Sinister Six? What if his parents are spies? It's like, no, <sighs> shut up. Exactly. And it's just happening again, and they just will not learn this lesson. And it's like, what's going to happen next? You're going to have this partnership fall apart again, and then you have to recast Spider-Man for the fourth time. Tobey Maguire looks a million years old. <laughs> I'm just going to say, like, you know, I, the passage of time is what it is. He is much older than the other two. He, he was already old when they cast him in these movies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we are 20 years on from that. Like, he's almost 50 years old. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, and not that Andrew Garfield isn't like in his mid thirties, but no, like, there but is, there's a youthful exuberance about him, and like, you know, I don't want to be mean about people's appearance, but like trying to pass off a fifty-year-old man as a guy that is at his oldest in his very early thirties is just not working, and like, you know, like you I, know, I, good I, for I him like the, coming I like back. That there's about but... ten years between all three of them. I yeah. like that kind of symmetry, is that these are all people in very different stages of their life. I do wish we had room for, like, a Dunst cameo. Sure. Because, obviously, like, because so much of what these guys have to to convey to you is, like, what has happened in between these movies. And mm. you have... Garfield is easy enough because it's, like, he's just in this, like, slum after what happened in Amazing Spider-Man 2. But I feel like I would appreciate if they were doing, like, portals back to the universe and you got to see Dunst with, like, little May Parker, mm. like, next Like a time. little peek into their home lives. Yeah. Like it just it would just make it seem like a little bit more like oh they got their happy ending that like they're married and they have a daughter together yeah and like that 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 kind of like brings that home is that he's coming at this from like a paternal point of view he's the like it gets better Spider Man and like that would provide hope for these other two that like you know arguably I guess I guess Holland is supposed to be in the darkest place but like he's early enough in it that he can come out of it and like. Garfield is like the cautionary tale of like things got bad for me and it's it's still kind of bad for me. And then Maguire is like the like, no guys, if you just stick with it and like have faith, it all will come together. Them in the lab all interacting, like again, I'm like, ah, it's cute, but there's just something about it that isn't quite Very working obviously for like me. six feet away from each other. Yeah. You know, you've got stuff like, oh, what, your webbing doesn't come out of your you know, that's weird. Oh my god, how does that work? You've got um, the back-breaking moment when they're on the, the Statue of Liberty. Like, again, this, this, this sequence becomes like it's coasting off the chemistry of these three actors. And yeah. I, I do think that they've got chemistry. Like, they have a WhatsApp group. Tobe <laughs> Maguire and Andrew Garfield went to go see, like, Everything Everywhere all at once together, apparently. Like, <sighs> like I like, like, it's nice that these three got to come together and they get to bond over playing, like, the most cast yeah. superhero of the modern day, apart from, like, Superman. Mm, there's been a lot of Batmans in the last. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's Batman, Superman, and Spider-Man. Like yeah, the three yeah. you've got. Like, and the thing is, like, I couldn't buy like Ben Affleck, Christian Bale, and George Clooney having a WhatsApp with each other. I think they would all hate each other. But yeah, no, uh, like, there's almost contempt for that role in a way that like there isn't here. And yeah, like you just wish. What if this had been your intent from the start? And what if there was no COVID and you had access to all three actors for a full? film production where they can actually be within 10 feet of each other more than a couple of times and what could have been because it's all just sort of like this is the best we could do guys this will have to do and it's like oh it could have been even more though couldn't it yeah because it's trying to serve too many masters like again like and it puts it into context how good enter the spider-verse is yes in terms of like that movie gets to introduce us to ultimate miles morales in like in all his shtick we get to have like an actual arc for an out of sorts Spider-Man who's kind of like lost his the love of his life mm-hmm. and then also like none of the other Spider-Man apart from Gwen get arcs really and even then Gwen's like home Gwen's life is less yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like but she she's a very thinly sketched and I feel like we're going to get more into that in the second and third movie but like yeah. everyone else is like a comedic joke that's based on like a visual style but it really fucking goes for it. Like, it knows we need to nail down, like, what Miles' arc is, and we need to nail down what, like, yeah. Peter B. Parker... Like, it, like it, it knows what it needs to do, whereas this movie has to go, like, yeah. well, we need to serve Tom, we need to serve Zendaya, we need to st- we need to have a Benedict Cumberbatch, like, action sequence, uh, we need to service 
Willem, Alfred, like just everyone has to have like a moment and it mm-hmm. makes it so serving so many different masters that like you just kind of wish that like yeah. I wish you had a more focused view of this. I yeah. wish you didn't have to wrap up your conclusion of the end of the first movie. I wish it was just the villains coming in and we got to have like mm. a movie that was just standalone, but you you made this a cliffhanger and you have to resolve that cliffhanger mm. and and that whole Statue of Liberty sequence, like, it's all just so... You know, there are isolated moments here and there, like, the three of them cutely, like, web-swinging in intricate, spiralling weaves and stuff. It's like, that's cool. Like, they've always been good at this stuff, like, doing weird air tricks and stuff like that. But, like, there's <sighs> just something about it where it's so clear they're just on a soundstage and, like, you know... Again, it's, it's Garfield who is, like dragging this into being mm-hmm. something interesting yeah. with his reactions to like when they're giving the code names and he's like Peter 3 and he's like kind of like <laughs> doing his thing and like when they're about to finish and he goes like I love you guys and yeah, like, yeah 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 like, so like again he is a real I, I, I know why people are all like justice for amazing spider-man amazing spider-man 3 green light it now I'm like <laughs> I'm so happy you got to do this yeah, yeah, yeah it should be the end it should yeah I mean in a in a in a in an ideal world, he should have just kept being... Like, he should have been Marvel's Spider-Man. Like, he deserved good Spider-Man movies, and he was a good casting, but his time is has gone, and this is his little send-off. And, like, you know, he injects all this... Like, he's weird, man, but, like, in a way that works. And he, he was in his movies, too. Like, there's just... He has got this weird aloofness about him where he just has these little improvised moments that are just like, what did you just fucking say? Yeah, I mean, he's always been a weird actor. You look yeah. at his career post-Amazing Spider-Man 2, and, like, it's not a lot, but it's always interesting because it's, yeah. like, it's silence, it's under the Silver Lake, it's Hacksaw Ridge... It's Isatami Fay, it's Tick Tick Boom, mm-hmm. it's mainstream. Like this is his yeah. first foray back into like a big budget movie. I think like Axel Ridge did make money, but like this is his first yeah, yeah, yeah. like proper like yeah. big starring role in a while. And I think it reminded people how much they love Andrew Garfield yeah. and like how he kind of got like completely chewed up and spat out by the Hollywood engine. Mm. And the worst case scenario of this is the, the Sinister Six movie that Sony are very obviously trying to put together with like Morbius and Craven and Venom mm. and and Vulture is going to have him as the Spider-Man. There is like, yeah, there is this talk that like they won't use Tom Holland. They'll use like because there's all this fucking is there a Spider-Man in the Venom verse? And it's like what if it were one of these other ones? What if it were Andrew Garfield? And it's like I mean I really hope he doesn't sign up for that personally because I don't want his heart to get broken again. But maybe. So yeah, we get this big over-the-top action sequence where, like, you know, three Spider-Men against three villains and then the fourth shows up and, like, Doc Ock then comes to the rescue and, like, you know, they've got the cures that they, they've remade and they're, like, leaving them in strategic places. And there's just something about it where, like, why don't we have a moment between, like, Maguire and Defoe? Like, why don't we have a bigger moment between Garfield and Fox? <laughs> They do do this thing where they're like, oh, I was hoping you were black, basically. <laughs> and I'm sitting there the whole movie, like, surely Miles Morales live action has to step through one of these portals at the end of the movie. Just to, like, give them more breathing room between solo Spider-Man projects. And, like, surely, with the enormous success of Into the Spider-Verse, it's like, we need to do this in live action as well. And it never came. And I was like, I, what the I, fuck? I think, I think they've also fucked themselves in terms of when they can introduce Miles now. Because... What they've done is, uh, jumping ahead a little bit, the movie is obviously a Spider-Man origin story. The movie ends with Spider-Man alone 
in the traditional like red and blue suit. Yep. Just starting out his career in Manhattan. Yeah. In like a shitty apartment. Spider-Man Four has to be that. Mm-hmm. And you you cannot do the what mate what Enter the Spider-Verse does so so brilliantly mm-hmm. in introducing you to the the Peter Parker of Mars's universe, giving you his entire shtick, and killing him off and giving it over to Miles because. <laughs> Tom Holland Spider-Man does not have that experience. Yeah. Like I could, I can see the building a three movie arc where Miles is the ultimate end goal of that and you get Tom out of there. Mm. But like we're not going to see him until Spider-Man 5, which yeah. I mean at the rate that they're fucking churning these movies out that's going to be like 2025, 2026 at this point. So like we're not that far away from a Miles Morales. Well, it's like, just you know, we got all these we got all these words that like Tom Holland was like done with acting but you know there was all this stuff like oh i want to maybe go start a family and i want to buy an apartment building and all these foot in mouth quotes because actors are not clever people and we're all paying too much attention to them but you know all these words that like you know he wants to get zendaya pregnant and (laughs) you know all this stuff and then suddenly he shuts the fuck up because clearly they backed up the money truck and just like the idea of like oh god and he's got to make more of these fucking things yeah, like he's 25 years old and he's like, I don't want to be playing this role on Thirsty. And it's like, that is just enough time to make three. If you, <laughs> if you run them on the same cycle you've been running them at the moment, you yeah. can squeeze in three more movies before you're 30 and yeah. be fucking done. But um, I, was just, I was just thinking, you know, if he's tired of it, if you have to keep making a Spider-Man's to, to keep this going, and I was like, if you bring in a Miles, that surely lets you just like stagger them off so that you can give Tom Holland a like, four-year break or something. But anyway... That doesn't happen. No miles this time, and maybe it would have been like one thing too many. But you know, they cure them all. You know, you you see this B roll footage of Sandman and Lizard. You you see Electro basically like, sorry, I was such a shitbag. And then yeah, we get this. Peter wants to kill Osborn, and Tobes stops him. I, I guess it works. Yeah, like it, again, as I said, like they hadn't built up enough like to. Tom wants to kill Green Goblin because he is so chummy chummy throughout this entire fight scene with like all the other villains and it's yeah. just Green Goblin that he's got this personal vendetta yeah. against and I kind of wish that he kind of like was more disillusioned than he was and I we didn't even get into the, you know they, they swap like oh my Aunt May died my Aunt May died you know Gwen Stacy died she was my MJ and then you get the recreation of um, you know we alluded to it right at the beginning uh, they, they recreate the, the Gwen fall with MJ and this time Andrew Garfield catches her and he's like so elated that she's alive kind of thing so all of that's good and yeah you know he talks him down from killing him gets stabbed in the back gets stabbed in the back because of course and, and it's like oh my god is Tobes gonna die <laughs> but no yeah and then you know the strange has rocked up in the middle of all this and is trying to stop reality from collapsing on itself we see all these like shadows in the sky yeah, and people Craven, have fun we yeah. see scorpion yeah yeah rhino people are still trying to pull that scene apart and find characters and stuff and it's like you know we have to do the spell you originally wanted it's the only way to undo this no they, it goes further because they like the whole, this whole thing is like you want everyone to forget that you are spider-man so, like, yeah. he would still be Spider-Man and be secret, whereas the spell, the new spell they cast is, I want everyone to forget Peter Parker exists. Right, that's, right. That's the spell that would stop them coming to this universe, is the reason all the villains are coming into the universe is because they know Peter Parker is Spider-Man and they're attracted to that, mm. whereas the new spell is, no one knows that Peter Parker exists. Yeah, so it's decided this is the only way to fix this. So we have this ticking clock, say your goodbyes because MJ's about to forget you, Ned's going to forget you, 
all this is going to happen. They send the people back to their universes. It isn't quite as good of a goodbye and a, as, as it could have been and the suggestions you made of like you know why isn't Dunst waiting with a little girl on the other side of the portal and stuff like that but anyway they do all of that and you get this tearful goodbye again Zendaya and and Holland like incredible chemistry or she's like come and find me and tell me again basically and all of this and yeah we end the movie with like you know he goes to May's grave and Happy's there doesn't know who the fuck he is and they're like both like, oh, I knew her through Spider-Man or whatever. A little bit hazy as to like how all that works. Like, you know, so he remembers May, but he doesn't remember Peter and all of that. And you know, he goes to that coffee shop to to excitedly tell her, oh, I'm Peter and we're in love. And then he can't go through with it because they're also happy and safe. And he see he sees the the band-aid, the plaster on her head of the damage she took in the fight, and that's what talks him out of it. It's like she would be safe if I don't tell her. So he abandons it, and it's it's genuinely pretty sad. And then he goes to his shitty apartment, and he's got his homemade costume that's a little bit more... He's studying for his GED. Yes, <laughs> all of his high school doesn't exist anymore. And he, yeah, he's got this sort of homemade suit that's a little bit more brightly coloured than the more... You know, ever since Amazing Spider-Man, they've been trending in this direction of more, like, quote-unquote realistic suit this is like a spangly sparkly blue and yeah yeah it's, it's deep colors and yeah he's swinging through new york at christmas time it's like oh cool this is yeah, great like a week before hawkeye destroys the, um, the, <laughs> the tap, rockefeller the, the tree. tree yeah i forget what our mid and end credit scenes even are the mid credit scene is everyone's favorite tom hardy shows up oh, uh, expl- yeah. explaining to football is life danny uh reyes no. danny reyes so danny yeah, reyes. explains to him like the, the what happened like getting getting summarized on like what spider man is in this universe or like what the avengers are yeah oh um, god and like you know so like venom 2 comes out a few months earlier and the end credit scene is like he's like in a hotel room like he goes through a portal and... no, so he's in a all right it's, it's right let's fucking summarize this bullshit yeah he's left san francisco and basically gone on the run because of like the events of venom but venom 1 and venom 2 right and in this hotel room the, the symbiote basically says to him and goes like, we're a hive mind. I know fucking everything. Let me give you a taste of like the knowledge that I contain. And after it does this, basically the, the, the theory is, is that the symbiote exists across the multiverse. Mm-hmm. And so because the symbiote from Spider-Man three is aware who Peter Parker is, it drags Tom Hardy Venom into... Right, because everyone who got brought into the movie is somebody who knows who Peter is, and it's like a it's a side effect of the spell going wrong. Yeah, um, unless you're Michael Keaton, in which case you get dragged into the Morbius universe. Oh, fucking hell. And I think they... But yeah, Tom Tom Hardy is in this scene. I mean, I like Tom Hardy's performance. It makes this so fucking messy. Like, I was summarising, like, there are now... Like if if we go by the rules of there are four references to non Feige productions now in the Marvel movies, mm. we're not going to count anything where like Feige productions are referenced in other things. Like we're not going to count Agents of Shield. We're not going to count Morbius. Those are borrowing things, but have not been acknowledged. Acknowledged, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Whereas Agent Carter definitively has been acknowledged in the Marvel movies. Uh-huh. In humans, spoilers for Doctor Strange is now acknowledged in the Marvel universe. <laughs> Venom yeah. has now been acknowledged, and Daredevil has now been acknowledged, and those are the four. Yeah. The four things that have been deemed successful. Uh, well, uh, Patrick Stewart, X Men, and also yeah. also in Strange. Yes, but I kind of that one feels slightly different because they're kind of also going like animated adventures kind of thing. But yeah, no, the those 
Sure, sure. Like, cause then I would, then you would also include the Raimi Spider Man and the Web Spider Man movies, but I'm kind of going like those. Yeah, are different. Yeah, yeah. Like, then, yeah, it, it, it's all very weird and confusing. But, like, now we have this, like, weird case of, like, here are the projects made in tandem with the MCU that mm. are canonical to the MCU in, in varying ways. And the most. Is it even interesting? Are you excited to see the Venom symbiote? in the MCU at this point? I've never loved Venom as a character. I've always found it, like, a vastly overrated... Like, it, it's 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 the pinnacle of 90s characters of, like, here's an evil version of the hero and he's kind of dark and violent, but not really. And, like, everyone is clamouring for R-rated Venom and he kills people and fuck... And, like, the best Venom is Agent Venom, which, stunned, they pivoted away from as quickly as they did. Like that's because Donny Cates obviously had his big Eddie Brock Venom arc, which was like really, really popular for a while, and so like Agent Venom and Agent Venom dies at the end of Dan Slott's Spider Man as well. Is, yeah, but it was like, just a it was just a cooler way of expressing the character. But yeah, yeah and we go was... back to Monster Venom, and yeah, I, I've never been a fan, but like not to be like such a homer for Marvel, but it's like, well, let's see it done better. In the same way, I'm like, I think they will do Fantastic Four good for the first time, and when they got Spider-Man back in-house, I was like, oh, finally, we can get Spider-Man right. And, you know, I'll, I'll walk some of that back. Obviously, Romy Spider-Man 2 is, is great and better than all of the Marvel ones. But there were just certain aspects of the character that I hadn't seen on screen yet, and I knew that Marvel would do them, and they did. And then they pivoted away from them almost immediately. <laughs> they did, they did. So, you know, on some level, I'm like, okay, fine. Feige's got Venom to play with if he wants. Yeah, and yeah. then and then the second credit scene is Doctor Strange. Trailer. Oh, it's just, it's just a trailer for Doctor Strange. Yeah, I remember. yeah, which is why that movie kind of gets this big bump, and I think has kind of disappointed people because it takes risks that this movie kind of doesn't do. <laughs> uh, spoilers for next year, like I think there's going to be a, a very positive Doctor Strange episode. I mean, I think yeah. that movie is compromised by COVID, but it's compromised in very similar uh, ways. It to feels this. so much more cohesive, though. Yes, it does, and I think that is. The, I mean, there's the, the big, the big outlier is obviously the the big cameo that was kind of like the one they were trying to keep secret. Is, <laughs> is the thing that looks the worst in the movie, but like, eh, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, maybe that'll be an exact situation like this one where I saw it. I'm really high on it, and by the time we come to do a podcast about it, I'm much lower on it. I don't know. We'll we'll find yeah. out because yeah, I mean that's that is the end of of this this year of Marvel of this volume of the podcast you know we do have we do have two things to we have some responsibilities there. but if if you have any other lingering thoughts other than those responsibilities hit me with them um the, the only one i had that came to me was deeply deeply funny that spider-man decides to go see doctor strange because he sees some halloween decorations <laughs> yes which had the little goatee that's that's about it. Like, yeah, it's it's a fascinatingly compromised movie. I can see why people fucking loved it. I just don't think it's got the play outside of cinema that yeah. it really and should. I, have. I just think if if this had been their intention from day one and they had access to everybody for as long as they needed them and there weren't these compromises, I think they could have made something truly special. And yeah, and and ultimately to lead us into the next section. The benefit this movie has, I think a big reason why it kind of goes over as smoothly as it does, because it is an eminently watchable movie, even when you can see the seams, is similar reasons to Hawkeye, and while we're kind of high on Hawkeye, is most actors in this are bringing their A-game. Yeah, yeah, everyone's good. And, that, and that's the thing, is like, because we are about to give out probably the most all-Marvel performances <laughs> for any movie since Black Panther. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, we had three, and we were toying with it being four, and we kind of ended up with it being four in a weird way, but uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, so... You know, every every movie we get a pick. We have no spare picks because I think we put Elizabeth Olsen and Sofia Di Martino on with the spare picks already. 
Zendaya is already on the list. Tom Holland is already on the list. I think Zendaya is better here than in Far From Home. She gets more to do emotionally. She's kind of more yeah. of a comedic performance a little bit in, in Far From Home. I'm... She's traditionally just been that, like, she's she's the kind of dark alt girl kind of thing. And she just hits her lines. And I think doing that, but then also getting to have the big emotional moments in the relationship and the vulnerability, you know, where it's like, you know, she doesn't do well with expressing herself sincerely. And, and she has to do that here, as in the character doesn't she's she's being vulnerable with him and i think she makes all of that work forgot to mention it they confirm her legal name is michelle jones watson yes yeah, so michelle MJ. jones watson but she doesn't like going by watson she's she goes by like her mother's maiden uh, her mother's surname i yes. presume so she is mj watson like mary jane so for me i think she's better and you know i know i kind of was forcing her onto the list the first time and you're a little bit lower on her but like if she's already on, <laughs> I yeah, kind of... I, I would also agree she's probably better here. I think, like, I think the benefit, and my only argument for Far From Home is that Far From Home kind of leans into it being a romantic comedy between the two of them. Yeah. And I think it's got more of a genre point of view. Uh, she definitely nails the emotional beats, but I think she proves more so in Far From Home that there is like romantic chemistry between Holland mm. and Zendaya. True. And, and like, again, it's playing into genre trappings, the whole, like them going on dates, them like flirting yeah. on the bridge and all the rest of it are like these little moments that okay. are. I could uh, see that because I, I guess again, I was less enamored with her on the rewatch than I was when I watched it in the, in the theater where like, you know, their goodbye like had me crying and the second time I'm like, oh, that's sad, but never yeah. mind. And I, and um, I think that is legwork that's entirely done by Far From Home. Cause yeah. she is, she is literally, like the seventh character in in Homecoming, she isn't even the love interest in Homecoming. No, she, well, I mean, there's a little something there, but yeah, like no. Okay, no, I'd be willing to leave her on from Far From Home. Actually, that's a fair argument. Is Tom Holland better than he is in Homecoming? I, no, I don't think I so. Don't I think, think he, so. he has to stay for Homecoming because he yeah. is like that, wearing that. all the hats. You know, making the new the new vision for Spider Man work. We've said already, Marissa Tomei is getting the pick for the movie. You know, she's been great throughout everything they've done with her. Um, there arguably hasn't been enough of her in the stuff she's been in. And, like, she still doesn't have a huge amount of screen time here. But, like, that one scene where she's just flexing what a great actress she is. And it's so powerful and it's so haunting. That death scene, straight on the list. No no qualms. But... I'm, I'm sad having to add a character on who dies. Um, <laughs> I, think she's, I think she's, like, the only female character that we've added who is, like, a canonical death. I think, mm, like, apart from apart from when we did Sardania for for Infinity War, is the mm. only time we've had a, a female character on this list who dies in the movie in which that they right right that makes sense yeah win all, win all Marvel for so. sure yeah yeah so then <laughs> long time listeners will remember and we brought it up at the beginning of this volume when we originally did this list I think there were like eighteen picks and we're like, ah, twenty's a nice round number. We'll do eighteen for the eighteen movies and then we'll have one bonus pick each to round it up to twenty. The number of projects balloons over time, we fiddle with the list, it no longer makes sense to have them. And then when this movie comes out, we thought, Hey, remember when Ben wanted to get J.K. Simmons on for J. Jonah Jameson just for the legacy of him playing that character. We didn't even discuss it in this movie. No. I just mean, doing an Andrew Jones riff. It's still fun to have him back, but it's not, not a big deal. I do love the reveal he's like in his living room kind of thing. But then, they cut, then the next one is like he's in a fucking studio. And I'm well, like, yeah, because he... he's blown up. Because he's the yeah. guy that had the Spider-Man scoop. And now it's, yeah. But the, like, doesn't the... the movie take place over like days, functionally? 
It's Christmas at the end. It's Christmas they? at the end. They're, they're coming time back is, to time school. Time is confusing. I remember laughing out loud at the gravestone scene <laughs> where they cover up the year that this movie's supposed to take place in because they obviously hadn't decided what yeah. year the Marvel Universe is in at the moment. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, JK's great. But So we have these two bonus picks that we sort of got rid of, but we had this plan for them. And you have these two villain performances who are movie villains in general, superhero movie villains of the modern age are indebted to Willem Dafoe and Alfred Molina. And as I said earlier, I think they're both better here than they were before, but like it's kind of rewarding them for what they do here, but also acknowledging how good they have been historically. So the bonus picks would become these two. Yeah, as we a kind sort of, of shout retire out this. The concept. bonus concept, yes. Although like, one day if we get to like we've got thirty nine things and this is our you know <laughs> Yeah, maybe we maybe we do that just bring it up to a forty if we're like at the end of the year or whatever. I mean, but like this D'Onofrio is, this is... would be a would be a, a a candidate, but you know he's got the opportunity to do more in the future, stuff like that. And yeah, I, I just think you know it's nice to to give them that shout out. They are doing great work here, better work than I expected. Like the the alarm bell is you're dragging these people back into something they did. 20 years ago, they barely cared about it then. They definitely don't care about it now. They're acting in COVID. They're acting against green screens. They're going to just fucking sleepwalk through it and embarrass themselves. That's that's the benefit of them getting character actors who've kind of had good, successful careers of them Mm -hmm. giving a shit for so long. And I think both of them being so embedded in the culture because of these two performances. Because even with Willem Dafoe being like probably one of the best actors of the 2010s Mm. and Alfred Molina being able to give like most projects he's in some level of gravitas, like they are still to an entire generation of people, Green Goblin and Dr. Octopus. I think this movie like fully cements their view in the culture of these two roles. And again, again, like they, they bring everything that they were doing in those last two movies. They bring the pathos, they bring the the villainous energy of it to them. Yeah, just just good. I mean, and, yeah. and it kind of like spoils villain watch, but like because <laughs> this movie doesn't really have villains in a traditional sense. Mm. Like like Willem Dafoe's the closest, but again, like they're they're making them more sympathetic and like the the, the movie's kind of done with the villain arcs by like an hour and a half in, and then yeah. the rest of it is all all fully centered on the patter between the three Spider Men. Mm. It makes it an interesting one where, like, I don't want to call Willem Dafoe and Alfred Molina, like, top of the MCU pile, mm. but I think... They're flirting with it. They're flirting with it, but I don't... I, I wouldn't put them in that, like, top five that we've cemented for the MCU itself, no. because, like, they're not doing enough here for that, even if they're doing, like, work that no. doesn't disparage... And a lot of it is relying on you already having... It's the same with Kingpin, where, like, that scene... That one scene is inarguably not as good as the scenes he did in Daredevil, but he's still really good and you still know what he's done before. Yeah, and, you're like, and, and it's not detracting from it in a way that makes you dislike Spider-Man 2 or Spider-Man 1 or mm. or, or Daredevil or any of those things. Yeah. I think that's the kind of like, the tightrope yeah. that they're on. And, and again, like Electro becomes more interesting oh, in, yeah. like, in a villainous sense. Like There's there's the more reasonable arc for him where like no longer is he the nerd that's bullied, he's someone who is like... I want to stay alive and I want to have this bit of power. And like again, mm-hmm. they, they kind of have... I think all the Spider-Man movies have done well by their villains. I think Jake Gyllenhaal's the one that kind of like gets a bit too wahaha and like loses the the pathos he had at the start. But I think it's a committed performance and I think he's got chemistry with Holland that yeah. goes a long way to... From bullying kind of... him in real life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, that, yeah. and that's the thing. Is I think like that, And that is good that the Spider-Man movies have nailed basically all their casting for all of these actors... 
yeah. across all what like how many movies have we had at this point nine movies or whatever mm. we we have done well with the casting and i think this is a good way not only of paying respect to the origin of the mcu in terms of like this is where kevin feige cut his teeth was on these early spider-man movies and whatnot a nice hat tip that kind of like concludes this series we've got 33 picks now <laughs> we'll see how fucking busy it gets next year i'm i'm happy that i'm staying on there and like you know yeah. that's the yeah whatever well i don't think bonus picks though aimed to be an, an ongoing thing because the podcast was designed to end at fucking infinity war and now and now it's just ballooned on and I'm, it's gonna and, go and on so forever I, and ever. I, I think let's let's wrap this up with kind of like what our feelings are because we've we've now had two projects in 2022 we're not going to do like spoilers or anything although there have been like some smack to this because obviously it's recent but also everyone fucking knows everything about this movie at this point i get the feeling that i think we're kind of done with phase four like when when unless what is a phase you know (laughs) like i think i think whenever the next avengers movie is is when we hang our hat up because these these, this thing is ballooning way too fast i've heard the argument that the this whole phase is the multiverse and like i I mean i I, I mean i sent you the picture the other day of like what the original pitch for this run was and the original pitch for this run was basically doctor strange into wandavision into loki and then spider-man probably would have come in and you would have had this like tight four movie multiverse arc essentially and instead what's happened is we've had what what has it been in effect like 18 months almost of multiverse stories and there's there's just no clear singular direction of focus because you have multiverse shit happening over here you have we're building a new generation of heroes over here you know are we putting together a thunderbolts a young avengers a and you know all of this stuff is going on and it's like pick a lane guys yeah i mean like the, the, currently we're looking at like a run of next year of about seven projects at least maybe eight yeah no eight projects probably for next year with moon knight doctor strange she hulk thor Miss Marvel, Secret Invasion, Black Panther, and Werewolf by Night, and it's yeah. like oh, this—it's it, getting a lot. It is getting a lot, and that's why the podcast is now. Let's look at what they did last year. So yeah, I mean, as I said at the top, we're done for this year. Like this is the last thing they did in 2021. So you won't hear us talk about Marvel again until next year. Probably would look to bring us back a little bit earlier than we came back this time uh, yeah, because we, we kind we... of threw it together quite last minute. So, your, your thoughts will be on the website. You'll be covering Oh, yeah. All of Marvel this Mondays will continue. I will have a review of every episode of their TV shows. You'll At be the on time the, of this recording, the, Mar- the Moon Knight season review is dropping tomorrow. But by the time you all hear this, it's already out. And I'll you'll be, be on your mini hiatus do... in between Doctor Strange and Miss Marvel. Yeah, we're gearing up to do Miss Marvel. We'll see what that looks like. But in terms of this podcast, I don't know. I'm not going to say January, but maybe more like February, March than, uh, than April, May. And we'll look back at everything that's happened in 2022. And I'm looking forward to that first episode being incredibly negative as we talk Moon Knight. But in terms of hearing us on the website, uh, we will be going back to the 80s with There Will Be Movies, Volume 4, 25 of our favourite movies from the 80s. Which, as of right now, has no list. (laughs) Yeah, well, now we can think about the list. Yeah, so we'll be talking... In theory, grown-up movies, but I feel the 80s is going to get a bit sillier. So, you know, we'll see what happens. But yeah, you can hear us do that. We would appreciate your support coming over to do that if you just listen to us talk about Marvel. And then we may do a little special something around Christmas time with the Superhero Pantheon that's being discussed right now. And yeah, I might 
I'm just gonna, you know, maybe this comes out as well, but uh, I might have a little something something with Kevin Ford related to Marvel coming soon, a little reunion between Matt and Kevin there. But otherwise, you know, this has been a year of Marvel. It was hit and miss. <laughs> it, they they are definitely struggling to find a direction post Endgame. Yes, I think obviously the audience is happy. I think, but then Doctor Strange has like the lowest cinema score since like Dark World and stuff like that. And it's I think are fucking crazy. It's the best movie they've made in a long time. <laughs> but yeah, that's the thing is like you look at you look at the things that are happening and it's like they they take a risk on Eternals and Doctor Strange and they're punished for it. And they're punished for it. And you're like and but then everyone's fucking eating up Moon Knight and I I I feel we're just sort of trending further and further away from what the yeah. MCU target audience is. Yeah, that's the thing is I feel I feel on an island now in terms of like I'm like Doctor Strange is better than Spider Man and other people are like Moon Knight's this like work of television brilliance and I'm like It's Ooh. as good or better than Daredevil. Like the fuck it is. <laughs> the worst moments of season two of Daredevil are much better than the best stuff in Moon Knight. Like, inarguably. I will yeah. watch Matt and Electra doing crimes together all day long. Uh, I do not want to watch more Moon Knight yet. Anyway, yeah, it was, right. they I'm are, also, they are floundering. This promise to you now, Matthew. Yes. By the time we're back next year, yes. I will have watched Daredevil Season 3. Oh my God. Jesus. Do we need to record about that? <laughs> I will figure out what's going to happen with it, but that is my promise to you, is that Daredevil Season 3 will have been watched wow. by the time we come back. Next wow. Year. Well, I, now I have something to live for. Uh, until then, everyone, thank you for joining us on our marvelous journey for one more year. We'll see you for volume 22. Let's call it that. Let's volume them that way. Till then, Excelsior. Excelsior. <laughs>